But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will I mean, you don't even have to think about it. Life. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just got Ooh, ran down. Everybody like amazing. I don't remember any of it. Now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's house? Wow. Ram What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers the Pod. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined by my brother and the other host of this show, Nick. And Nick, the season is finally over. Five and twelve season. The Rams is a reigning Super Bowl season is now complete. There's drama about Sean McVay. We're going to talk about the game in detail. But first, Nick, I wanted to see how you're doing. Well, Dean, uh, I'm doing okay. Something that I did last week was I went back and I listened to a lot of our old episodes from this season um, to see how we were feeling after a couple uh, wins and losses. And I had to do the recap for Nick's picks and figure out exactly how much money we made and whatnot. And while I was doing that, I listened to the first episode after the Bills loss week one, and I compared it to a tiny pinch of sauerkraut on your ice cream sundae. <laughs> and lo and behold, the whole season actually turned out to be just a big bowl of sauerkraut with tiny pieces of ice cream in it. So if you go back and listen okay. to that episode, I, I would imagine that I'm overwhelmingly optimistic. Uh, probably mm. said 16 different times that the season is a long one and there's a lot to be had. And it's not, you know, it's not an accurate representation of what this team is going to be. And we still have faith they're going to go over 10 wins. And I, I feel like I don't even need to listen to the episode to, to hear what kind of homer that I was in the beginning of this season because so much changed, so much unfolded, so many injuries, so much drama. The fact that you can't even really predict how this season was was going to end and the fact that they even had a shot to keep the Lions alive in this game, the fact that there was actually a, a legitimate football game to watch it didn't feel like a, a old-time Fisher-Pete Carroll game. You know, It felt like the teams were able to score points, although it was only 19-16. to 16. And it felt like there was some some competition being played, especially from Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner and a lot of the guys on defense, a lot of the younger kids, too. So some solid optimism to come out of that game. But the season in totality was uh, very much of a roller coaster, the way the last six Rams seasons have been right. All, except this one, for whatever reason, the last six or seven weeks didn't have as much emotion, as much drama tied to it just because they were out of contention. But. I mean, where do you go from here, I guess, is the question, right? Because the McVeigh drama is out there. Uh, we're going to talk through the game, but like where what, where are you at right now? Well, I don't think you can go many places but up, truly. Um, coming off historically the worst season from a reigning Super Bowl champ, um, it would be hard to really go down. Stafford at least has committed – to coming back next year, which is huge. Um, just this year was played by injuries, like 12 different offensive lines, uh, you know, scrambled of men. We lost almost all of our key players that helped us win a Super Bowl during the season. Like, you know, 
we kind of got humbled a little bit as fans because we were for a long time we experienced a lot of glory under the Sean McVay regime and now the dude is stressed and I get it I I mean like I really do get it but listen Aaron Rodgers is not our quarterback so I don't want to be worried about retirement every single offseason from from like the foreseeable future so McVay take your time but you know, like I would, I as a fan, it'd be nice to have a legitimate decision on. I mean, you signed a contract. I thought that was it, but really, yeah. apparently, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I want to. I I want to sidebar the McVeigh conversation. We'll talk about the game first, and then there's plenty about McVeigh that we'll get into. But it's it's all really good point. Like I was, I'm sure me along with many other Rams fans were watching this game just to see his his body language on the sidelines, to see how he called the game specifically, to see if there were you know, any, any sign of drop off where it felt like he was, he was not committed to the the organization, not committed to the team, to the players. Didn't seem like that whatsoever. It felt like it was a very well coached game. Seems like the players have been, you know, they, they understand kind of the, the drama that comes along with having Sean McVay as a head coach, having a younger head coach. And, you know, maybe the, some of the things that happened with him specifically this year with Cam Akers and some of the internal dramas, maybe that was, a byproduct of him being overwhelmed and him being stressed and feeling like there's not much that he could really physically do with the offense in order to get them into a better spot. And unfortunately you kind of saw the same in this game, right? It's the air attack is really what brought Sean McVay to the table in this league, the ability to, to move players around at the line of scrimmage, you know, the motions, all the pre-snap stuff, being able to get your quarterback under center and then also being able to get him in shotgun so that you could open up the pass game and have these longer developing pass plays downfield. You didn't see that yesterday, right? Baker Mayfield was 13 of 26 for 147 yards. That's like what, seven times? Yeah, he got sacked five times. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Yeah. He tried to escape, you know, five or six different times. I think he had, he had officially had five carries, but I mean, you you look at the offense, he targeted Van Jefferson, who was the leading receiver seven times. I think he had roughly 61 yards. Higby was targeted seven times, but I mean, that's kind of the bulk of your targets there. And then you're seeing two, two cam and Brandon Powell. They all had three targets each. So as productive as they were through the air yesterday, like there, it was a very, very simple recipe in terms of how to win this game. You have to commit to the ground game. You have to be able to win in the pass attack, but you don't have to bring an overwhelming pass attack against this team because you can commit yourself to winning on the ground. And you just didn't see that. But with Cam Akers too, you, the ability to kind of commit to the the run game and see the fact that he's been the, the first 100-yard rusher in three straight games since C.J. Anderson in 2019, there's encouragement there. Right, the fact that Cam Akers, we all thought that he was done on this team, and now he could be coming back poised for a, a fourteen hundred yard season next year. Right. So, I think yeah. uh, Akers with you know some some veteran can be a really deadly duo, and I you can too. even lean on Akers a little bit. I mean, that I think he has been the one shining glimmer of. Uh, I mean, Ramsey's game, of course, is always going to be fantastic to watch, but. Cam Akers developing this year on under a bad O-line and, you know, making moves, um, especially when his stock was so, so low. That has certainly been a highlight, I will say. It's even in the Seattle game, he was a he was a tried and true horse that, that we were able to rely on. Having Thomas Brown come back and coach the running backs, I think, was just massive for him. 
right? I think it was just a, a mindset change for Cam Akers. You saw as soon as that switch happened, it seemed like the last five or six weeks of the season, he was the running back who we all thought that he could be coming off of the injury. And still, like, there's a lot that comes along with an Achilles injury, being able to recover and get back to normal speed. It's nearly impossible for a running back. And, and Cam Akers is still defying odds over the fact that that Achilles injury was very serious and could have potentially put him out for his entire career. But like offense aside, I felt like this game was more specifically about the defense, right? Like Jalen Ramsey had nothing to play for whatsoever. Don't even think there were any, pick. Yeah, I don't even think there were any incentives tied to his contract. Like it wasn't like if Jalen, if you have two picks in the final game, you get an extra five hundred thousand dollars. There was no real incentive tied to this game other than the fact he wanted to show that he could still play and beat the Seahawks. So I thought he was fantastic, had the two interceptions, the hit on Geno Smith on the sideline, which I thought was the absolute right thing to do as Geno Smith was just kind of like hugging the sideline, kind of strolling down the sideline. And Ramsey was already in position to make the hit. And the refs all it just ripped flags out of their pants. Like it was the I don't even really want to talk about the refs because there were so many things. And I it just felt like the game was just like, well, we want Seattle in the playoffs because Geno's yeah. a great story. Specifically in the fourth quarter. It felt like that, right? There were probably five or six different instances. You can go through the roughing the passer on Baker that wasn't called. The late hit on Ramsey where Gina was essentially hugging the sideline, wasn't expecting to take a hit. And then they have the ref come on the screen and he's like, what was Jalen Ramsey supposed to do in that situation? Like he's in position to make a play, can't get out of the way. And then DK right after the missed call where he kind of like stuck his finger, stuck his hand right in Jalen Ramsey's face. Well, there's that. And then there was the, there was the overtime pick um, that resulted where he taunted the Rams sideline. Yeah. He taunted Bobby Wagner standing there without his helmet on, on the sideline. And then also um, Gino got like, uh, like right before they called the timeout in the fourth quarter, uh, Seattle, uh, Gino gets hit out of bounds and spikes the ball. And that's, Delay a game, like clearly a delay a game. Yeah, and and McVeigh's pointing at him, like, did you not see that? He just spiked the ball, and then the refs are just like, ah, eh, well, whatever. So yeah, ever so clearly intentional ground. Roughing so the punter after the roughing the punter, um, that was just it. It it just felt like we were just gifted a loss, which is a shame because it would have been nice to see them take down Seattle. I mean, that was the first time Seattle swept us in. Had to have been at least seven years, probably more. Yeah, yeah, that's as frustrating as it gets, right? It's your defense puts you in a really good position to win. Even the special teams units seem like they did their part outside of Robert Rochelle to be able to put together a same, uh, you know, a decent game plan in order to win this game. And like Ramsey, and you watch Ramsey, you watch Bobby Wagner, like they've led the team in snaps. Like they are the two number one and two leaders in snaps the entire season. Like the only guys back to your point, Nick, that we had healthy throughout the entire season was Tyler Higby, Rob Havenstein, Leonard Floyd, Bobby Wagner, and Jalen Ramsey. That's it. So you're talking about guys coming over from your championship team. There's only four guys across 22 starters who will remain healthy throughout the entire season for you. So it's really, I mean, it's completely unprecedented and you're in a situation where, you know, you're just hopeful you can kind of, you hang, hang along and win games throughout the season. But like Bobby Wagner, I thought is just is extremely good the entire season. I think he needed 11 tackles to break the Rams' all-time record, uh, which of course, as you, you texted me and you mentioned over the weekend, that there is the extra game, right? So a lot of these, these numbers, these broken records that are coming out, Geno Smith broke one for the Seahawks. Like that's all kind of due to the extra game. That was well, the one that that sent me over. Yeah, um, 
Because yeah. that was the one I was seeing more than the um, the Barry Sanders one that Jamal Williams broke. Yep. And I was like, yeah, like, uh, you know, Barry Sanders should still hold that record. But, like, Geno Smith had a whole other game and barely beat the record. Like, that should not be taken away. From he was uh, he was very close. So that's seventy percent completion percentage. I believe was at seventy point two before the game started. He dropped to seventy point one, I think, at halftime, and he was kind of like starting to dip a little bit below seventy percent. So he was very much in jeopardy. And the Rams' defense very much brought their best game to the table. Like Bobby Wagner too. It's just, I mean, he was phenomenal all season. So he ended up with seven tackles. Um, I think a lot of people really doubted that he would still have the same level of, of production. Same juice, after, yeah. After 10 years in the league, right, six-time six, six time All-Pro, like wondering if he still got it. And the only issue with him next year, like he's indefinitely coming back next year, which is fantastic to have him on your roster again for another year. The only thing that is a little bit alarming is his cap hit was $2.5 million this year in effort to sneak all of these players under the cap, right? So you could sign players like Allen Robinson, Bobby Wagner. If they have a low cap hit in their first year, you can kind of compile all this talent on the same roster and not deal with the ramifications until the year after. Unfortunately, Bobby Wagner's cap hit jumps from 2.5 to, I think it's two or uh, 12,750,000. So it's, it's a drastic, drastic di difference. Um, so, I mean, that's something you have to take into consideration with the way that you're building the cap. Maybe you need to move some of those dollars around and shuffle some things around to lower his cap hit. Um, but I, I like I think for the most part, like with the way the defense has been playing, uh, at least over the last three, four weeks, there's been some holes, right? The bend don't break defense isn't perfect by any means. But, you know, you're going to see guys like Taylor Rapp go away who are on their last year of the deal. You're seeing Quinton Lake and Russ Yeast kind of move to that next level. Marquise Copeland had a really good game. You're seeing Michael Hote on the defensive line or Hoyt. I always say his name wrong, but they're really kind of starting to come together. And and you're you're hopeful that some of these guys could just be rotational players next year. And then if they can grow into that next level starter where they're a supplemental player, then you really have something to deal with. So, I mean, it's the season's not all totally lost. I, I feel like there were some really good things in that game. It's I think it's any outsider's perspective that the Rams should have came away with a victory in that game. Um, but I mean, kind of frustrating to be on this side. I wanted to see them end six and 11 in just a couple games out of the playoffs, but five and 12, a full reversal from last year, 12 and five to five and 12. I think five and 12, unfortunately is more fitting when you look back on the season. Yeah. Um, just, I don't think we are going to see a similar defensive scheme going into next year. I do still think um, Raheem is going to be a coach, a full a, a, a full head coach next year. So I'm interested to see who's going to come back. I mean, Rap maybe the best game of the season out of him yesterday. Yeah, one um, of his better games. But yeah, I know he also got hurt middle midway through the game. He got hurt, came back into the game. I was concerned it was going to be his last snap as a Ram. I know that he's uh, he's probably on the chopping block, and I think a lot of Rams fans will say sayonara to that one pretty easily. Unfortunately, um, Wagner confirmed he's coming back. <laughs> well, I mean, he's under contract until twenty twenty five, I think. So, which seemingly seemingly doesn't seem to mean as much anymore these days. What? Unfortunately, if under contract. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, could um, retire. I don't know if he wants I don't to think retire. They didn't have closing. They didn't have any interviews, I don't think, outside of Stafford. 
and uh, McVeigh today in terms of closing interviews. Maybe they had a couple of others that weren't officially published, yeah. but um, yeah, I didn't see anything official from any other players. Waiting for, waiting for Donald. You know. Yeah. Did you watch the whole McVeigh interview? I sure did. Um, I sure did. Can you please kind of debrief me because I wasn't able to watch it. I absolutely will. Before I debrief you, though, I want to get a word in from our sponsors. You cool with that? Absolutely. You want to okay. do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Battle line. It's back. Basketball's back. Football's into the playoffs. It remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. As your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your awards. Bet online where the game starts. Okay, promo code BELIEVE is right here at the bottom of your screen, B-L-E-A-V. Um, golf season starting, you know? Yeah. Are you excited? Uh, yeah, I got very much excited. You're yeah. a big golfer. Big golfer, big, uh, you know, big hot dog at the turn guy, big nice weather guy. Once the football season ends, I've fully converted my brain into a, Looking nice for the summertime and also playing a really good round of golf. My brain is fully converted into soup. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I don't even know what I hyperfixate on. <laughs> it's all nice all year around there. I think I kind of need the winter time. Like I need to be able to kind of like readjust and not go 100 miles an hour in the summer. Maybe a little bit of uh, 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 Sean McVeighisms, although it's not as severe. But it is the reason why I wore the Sean McVeigh shirt for this episode. Mm. Right, because there's we're going to talk about Sean McVay. I'm going to give you a debrief, Nick. Because yeah, please, please do, because I I tried to skim Cam's article, but I I wasn't able to get far, and I had to drive home. So my takeaway was that he really needs to take some time to to understand what he has done over the last six years. I don't know if he has had the time to even kind of think about. Everything that has happened, the opportunity he's been given, the amount of times he's won, the Super Bowl that he won, and then all the moving pieces in his personal life. So there's, you know, the fact that his wife is Ukrainian and they had family in the Ukraine, right? The fact that his grandfather passed away, like all of these personal life, he wants to have kids, you know, they want to grow their lives together. So to me, it was very much of a, I just want to take a couple of weeks to take a deep breath and really kind of understand some of the implications this would have if I were to leave on all of the other players and people within the organization, it also felt like between Stan Kroenke, between Tony Pastors, between Kevin Demoff, that they all completely have his back in his decision making. Like he was also talking about in the in the interview, he was like, this could be in the complete opposite direction, you know, where the, I don't have full support from ownership, but they've really kind of given me the gift to be able to kind of figure out what my next steps in life are and how I can become a better person and a better coach. I talked about this earlier on in the episode with Cam Akers, right? Like, I don't know if that same situation really happens or rears its ugly head. If coach McVay feels like he can get enough sleep at night, you know, I think maybe it was a very, very minute problem that he felt like he was, maybe he was mentally dealing with a couple of different things, injuries to the offensive line, injuries to a starting quarterback, to Donald, to cup, Right. It felt like the, his, the world around him was collapsing. 
So to be able to kind of, you know, bring some of those things on other players, on other coaches and kind of play the blame game, I think is where he feels like he needs to better personally develop. So a lot of the interesting quotes that came out, Nick, like one of the quotes, um, he actually kind of went towards Tom Brady, which I thought was really interesting. He didn't like directly quote Tom Brady, but what he said was he said he hopes his sons or his children in general have the same kind of passion for anything like he does for football. Like he wouldn't wish it on anyone. He wouldn't say like, Hey, you know, brother Nick, I want you to have the same kind of insane passion for podcasting that I do, you know, like crazy, you know, you can't, you can't ask for other people and other kids and other people in your life to have the same kind of passion towards something that you do. Right. So maybe not the best example, but the fact that he was just saying it's, it's like almost a form of torture. The fact that he's so passionate and committed to the game and he wants to do it to a, the highest possible standard and to be able to do that consistently without burning out feels like it's impossible for him right now. Yeah. I, I mean, it's also the thing where they say like somebody like Tom Brady, they say he shouldn't coach because he yeah. would expect yeah. so much. Same with LeBron. His players, mm-hmm. you know? Same kind of guy. Yeah. Because, because then, you know, Tom Brady's like, oh, why, why don't you just go out there and just throw, you know, like a 70-yard bomb, like right into Mike Evans. And the quarterback's like, yeah, that's not something that is just in my repertoire. Sure. Um, so I think that I like, I think that was definitely a part of McVeigh and why the relationship between him and Goff crumbled is because he yeah. expected so much because he knew that if I have somebody that can do this then my plays can be developed and I, and we can do what I'm, what I want to do, but we had like, I can't really, you know, I'm kind of like in my little like box here with you. And I felt like there, there was some finger pointing um, for a minute, like, especially in that 2020 season where it was like, you know, this person's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And like, we need to, like, I need to be better, but like that, not really talking about himself and I think it does take a big man to kind of realize that, well, you know, not everybody can be exactly where you need them to be. And you have to mm-hmm. kind of work around the situation, like the cards that are dealt, you know, and this year the Rams were dealt one of the crappiest hands and it felt like they were giving up like really early, um, like not evaluating the uh, the backup quarterback position like accurately going into the season mm-hmm. and then just kind of sticking with it um, with those two guys for too long and then putting yourself out of the playoff race. So I I hope he comes back more than anything else this offseason. I hope I hope he comes back and I hope Donald doesn't retire. But I feel like it's almost like the monkey's paw. It's like one of those things can happen, not both. Very, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same, uh, in the same camp. I mean, he talked about how he's very, very impulsive. Like he, he leaned on that. He's like, I'm very, very impulsive. I'm very, very impatient. Like you see that with the Jared Goff trade, you saw with the Cam Akers situation. Like he's, this is, it is a man who is admitting all of his faults to the national media. Right, he wants to actually become a better version of himself. Sure, he doesn't want to put players in that kind of position again to where it's like this weird clubhouse divide. You know, people I'm sure sided with Cam Akers. Some probably sided with Daryl Henderson, this whole running back 
drama yeah. situation that they had throughout the entire year, trying to configure the offensive line, trying to build an offense with an offensive coordinator who doesn't necessarily seem capable, right? It's the fifth, sixth different guy in that position. Halfway through the season, we hear that he wants to go back to Kentucky, right? Like he, I don't think he feels like he has any help, but he very much felt like, or maybe he's had the help and he doesn't necessarily have the help anymore. The fact that it's just a revolving door with this organization from offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, assistants, whoever it may be, it's uh, it's it's very, very difficult in order to, to manage that. And he talked about how he's just like so overwhelmingly fortunate to have such a great inner circle. Like he talked, to, <laughs> he used, still uses coachisms, right? He talked about like how he measures all the different dynamics and he wants to make sure that this is definitely like a topic that has a lot of layers to it, but he wants to make sure that he thinks through every single layer because it impacts so many different people, so many different fans, right? So I, I think all in all, he wants to make the right decision that's both good for the organization and also good for his future family, which I'm going to be kind of honest. I don't know if that decision is going to be as clear as he thinks it's going to be after two weeks in Cabo or wherever no. he's going to be. No, and I also, I what I think he's going to realize, also, just before I even get into that, I want to make it clear that I am very, very thankful for it, the McVeigh run if it is over. Even yeah, though I mean, none of those guys always critiquing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They don't notice uh, anything. I think he's going to be in Cabo, and I think his wife's going to be like, "Stop watching football," <laughs> and he's not going to be able to. He's not like. I, I feel like we've grown with him almost as podcasters and fans. And the guy is kind of like one of us. He's passionate. He watches every football game. He's looking for like people that the Rams can pick up. Like, you know, we'll make a crazy move. Like let's pick up Clay Matthews. Let's get a Dominican Sue. Like, I know it's not all him or like, like let's trade quarterbacks. Like, the the guy has just always been on the sea of his pants and running so fast yep. that I, you know, if he wants to take a little break, that's fine. I just don't like to me it it would feel skeevy if he left the TV for a year or two and then went to the Cowboys or something. Like that would be the only thing that I think would Dude. be a blemish in his um legacy for sure. And I think he cares about that because yeah. that would just be like, I'm not, I'm not here for the rebuild. I'm not the rebuild guy. I'm only here to win you a Super Bowl. And it's I don't like, buy any of that. Yeah. I don't buy any of that specifically because it's being reported by Mike Florio. But I will say that <laughs> the, the situation with imagining Sean McVay going to a different franchise the only way that all of this shit is swept under the rug is if he goes to another franchise and he wins two Super Bowls, right? Because you don't get out of the conversation of you left your team behind, you, you know, you abandoned a rebuild. You could have had a great thing in Los Angeles with the Rams. You know, you really brought them to where they needed to be within the organization holistically. And, you know, if you go to a different team, you must win. Like he thinks that there was pressure over the last six years to win with this organization. Imagine he goes to Dallas, who's still on their 27, 28 year drought after Mike McCarthy leaves and they get bounced in the divisional round of the playoffs. It's like Tom Brady. Yeah, right, right. So there's um, a number of factors that come into play. But like it, there's a lot of Cliff Kingsbury drama today. And I think that it, it seemingly happened at the perfect time. 
So Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay are very, very, very good friends. It was at his wedding, at his wedding together. Yeah. yeah, spent a lot of time together. It was also Cliff Kingsbury is also a USC guy, right? So he's he's very familiar with the surrounding area. It would be a very, very easy switch over from going to Arizona over to Los Angeles. You take kind of a step back in your career. It seemed like Kingsbury was very, very overwhelmed. Those two can instantly join forces and help one help one another out. They have zero, zero doubt in that. And while Cliff Kingsbury could be the guy, I think we have to kind of do our due diligence of looking across the rest of the league, right? Like, because if Cliff Kingsbury could take 25 to 30% of Sean's work off of his plate and Sean can just manage the day-to-day and be responsible for the game plan, maybe not 100% own every single detail and own every single play call, that seems like we're bringing him back to the situation he was in with Kevin O'Connell. So should be very, very beneficial, but... Also, like looking at guys, for example, I was looking at Wes Phillips, who was Wade Phillips' son, who I feel like we all forgot went to Minnesota's and has been such a good offensive coordinator with Minnesota. Um, I remember. Because yeah, I mean, if he's like, the first thing he said was like, "Oh, it's great to be in a football town." Yeah, yeah I know. I remember <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> People don't forget. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I mean Wes Phillips, he's not gonna be the guy I don't think that's ever gonna come over to Los Angeles. He's got a great gig in Minnesota, but you know, kind of looking for that kind of guy, that caliber of coach, in hopes that, you know, he could potentially take over the head coaching job one day. The fact that anybody that comes into this offensive coordinator role with the Rams should have the intention to eventually be a head coach again one day. One, that's the situation you get involved with when you're, you're hired with the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay. And two, as, an, uh, as a head coach who got fired, who reverts back to a position, you want to eventually be able to, to know that you can get back to where you need to be. And, you know, I don't know if Wes Phillips is that guy. I don't know if Frank Reich is that guy. Like Matt Rule is definitely going back to college. Right. So those guys are kind of out. But like looking at Sean McVay's coaching tree, it's Ajiro, Evero, Brandon Staley, Matt LaFleur, Kevin O'Connell, Zach Taylor. Like the four of those five guys could be top 10 head coaches next year. I mean, yeah. you could argue three of them are right now. Brandon Staley, Matt or Brandon Staley, Kevin O'Connell and Zach Taylor. Would you argue that either of those three guys are not in the top 10? Mm-mm. All directly from Sean. The, the gift that keeps giving. Maybe, um, I, I mean, LaFleur, definitely not. Well, yeah, but I mean, Sean always talked about how he was a guy that always consistently challenged him. Like, a very, very undisciplined Packers team last night. Uh, th- I mean, you had, uh, what's the name? Russell Douglas all over the place. They punched somebody. There's a rookie linebacker who uh, who pushed a, a medical guy. Like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, it's all, it's it's just kind of like, the Packers have had every opportunity to win that game. The Lions were like, like, so like they took them forever to get started. And the Packers were in the red zone like four times and they couldn't get in. Um, I, I think LaFleur is kind of a hack, but that's a whole nother. Sure. Thing. Sure. Okay. Well, he's, he's, you know, kind of irrelevant at this point. We're just kind of listing off the, the, the tree, but it's also like, you don't even realize if a guy like Liam Cohn goes, a guy like Jake Peets, they talked about Jake Peets, potentially has college opportunities. You lost Wes Phillips. Like Jed Jed Fish was a guy a couple of years ago I thought was a little bit of a, of an interesting name. I think he came from Florida or somewhere close by me, the Gators or Miami, one of those two maybe. Um, and I thought he had some some legitimate opportunity to, um, to kind of climb the ranks in the NFL. 
There's another guy who went right back to college. So it's really just rinse and repeat for Sean since he got here with the coaches, which is another factor that has to just be exhausting. Yeah. If you got to retrain, reprogram all of these guys every single year to get them up to speed with your complex offense, it doesn't sound fun. And it worked for a little bit, but then, you know, like once the injuries start coming in and, and you tell Liam Cohen, like, hey, you, you're starting uh, John Wolford. Like, I'm sure that was just, from there he was like, gulp, because that's <laughs> really hard to uh, hard to have a game plan around a quarterback like that. Yeah, you have that, and you're half a backfield, half an offensive line. Yeah, Your game plan's out the freaking window. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting situation that uh, we will be continuing to monitor. So, like, best-case scenario um, – Raheem stays or, or leaves? I want him to stay. Okay. It's another job that you don't have to replace. Yeah. All right. And and McVay's really comfortable with him. He was a Washington guy, right? Yeah. I yeah. feel like all the um uh but I don't know if he or maybe he was. I don't but I don't know. They definitely have some some pre existing linkages together. Yeah. All um, right. So best case scenario. And the Raheem players love Raheem, yeah. right? Yeah. Um Ramsey talks about it all the time. Maybe gives them a little too much freedom. Maybe not. I don't know. That's <laughs> up to your own discretion. Raheem stays. Cliff comes in. Um, McVeigh obviously stays. Donald doesn't retire. Cup is healthy. Start of the season. Stafford's ready to go. Like yeah, but that's that, 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 scenario. So many dominoes. So many dominoes that have to fall. Well, and sure. I think well, we know after, Cup's- like it was like difficult to convince everybody to come back after a good year. So mm-hmm. and after a five and twelve year. You know, it's going to be like back against the wall, and it's, it's kind of the same kind of methodology. Just the, the Super Bowl, it's going to be so much worse. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of the same methodology, right? Where it's like you come back from the Super Bowl, you you want to try to follow up your title. You come back from one of the worst seasons you've had over the last six years. You want to come back and show that you're still the team that you should be. Yeah. Right. So the other side of that, I think, is very real. They said Cooper Cup's rehab is completely on track. Stafford's definitely coming back. Um. Aaron Donald is, I feel like the biggest unknown at this point, like Ramsey full intention of coming back. Um, Bobby Wagner, like all your, your top tier players seems like they're all going to be back outside of this big question mark, which is Aaron Donald. It's a guy that I just, I don't think I could see him retiring right now. If he's linked to the core, maybe he, they all, you know, predetermined that this is going to be their last year. And we talked about this earlier on in the season. Maybe that's the selling point. Is one last ride. If you have Kingsbury, Sean McVay, and Raheem Morris all in the same coaching staff, those are three head coach candidates, three guys that are fully capable of controlling the entire organization from a head coach perspective. So that to me would be extraordinarily encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. But let's, you know, let's see where the chips lie. We'll take it from there. You know, maybe if it is the end, of the McVeigh era, hopefully Kroenke and them still want to continue to like, you know, be hot and mix it up and go after somebody like Sean Payton, you yeah. know, like yeah. give us somebody that's because I feel like you're kind of operating on it not being over, but you're also the one that watched the presser. So, yeah, well, that's I felt like I, I he really kind of led us into his world for 15 minutes or whatever it was. But like, I feel like the core of Sean, Les, Tony Pastors. And Stan Kroenke is very much a core, right? And when one of those guys leaves, whether it's 
you know, demo off well, goes. He's not going anywhere. Crocky's not going anywhere. Whose house is is staying put? Um, but I mean, that's like so I'm saying. If one shoe drops, Sean McVay leaves that group. You know, how does Les Snead navigate the next three years? Who is still going to be under contract? You know, there's so that core I feel like is operating in the same kind of capacity that our core, the players, Donald Stafford, Cup, and Ramsey are all operating under as well. So it's one, one shoe drops. That's when you get nervous. That's, yeah. that's what I'm the point I'm trying to make. If you, you lose Sean, that's a big shoe. <laughs> you, you lose I Aaron. Think, I think you shoe. can guarantee that um, whatever McVeigh decides, like if, if McVeigh's gone, I think you can guarantee Donald retiring. And then if McVeigh stays, I think his chances of coming back are certainly higher. Yeah. I am quite honestly, if McVeigh comes back from vacation, he's all bronzed up, he's all happy, gets on a team call, and he goes, uh, guys, I'm coming back. What if uh um Tampa gets eliminated first round of the playoffs? Brady and Sean have this magical Cabo experience, and he takes a selfie with them. I mean, but then you gotta. I guess you don't have to trade, right? Because Tom's a free agent. There's no trade. No. You just got you got Brady and Stafford on the same roster. You call me crazy, but and I don't think I, I would have ever said this, <laughs> but I think I'll take Stafford right now. Uh, call yeah, me crazier. I think I would take Goff before both of them. I mean, he played better than both of them this year. I mean, Stafford didn't really have a fair chance, but he sure he- did. Jared went last nine games of the season without turning the ball over. So. Something I never thought I'd see ever, mm. ever. I've t- got to say, I know it's going to sound mean, but I was waiting for the mistake last night. I was I waiting for it. Coming. I thought it was on the RPO where he gave it off and should have tucked it and ran. I thought they were going to get in trouble down by the goal line, but then I remembered they have the uh, second coming of Barry Sanders on the roster. So also, the, no he, did, he fumbled and and fell on top of the ball. Yeah, and yeah. some there was some gothism sprinkled in there. Yeah, also like. Some dope throws. That's part of the Goffisms. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a crazy year next year. We'll be along for the ride, as we always are, and we'll be navigating the offseason together. And I'll tell you what, I think it'll at least be interesting and be good for us content-wise because there's going to be a lot to talk about. So, Selfishly, it'll be great for us. Yeah. Everybody else, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Have fun, guys. <laughs> I love your your closing statement. That was fantastic. Thank you. Um, that's all we got. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys enjoyed the season as much as you could. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Like, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on all socials. We'll be around. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We we had a really good time this year together doing this as we always do. Um, Dean, thank you for being my other host and you know <laughs> having fun with me could i go back to the example that i made that wrongly assumed me as the person who has more passion towards the podcast mm. but it was did that draw a line in the sand between us no i don't think so I think oh, good i think it's true <laughs> no no the example i was trying trying to give for the listening audience is when you're so fucking crazy passionate about something you almost don't wish anybody else had that same level of passion because it does kind of drive you into these insane directions. It'll bring you into, you know, 
dark situations, late nights and early mornings and situations that make you feel really uncomfortable and make you doubt your personal life. And it's a, it's a challenge. But like the fact that he kind of led us into his world a little bit, we have a pretty good idea of an, and direction as to where this is going to go in the future. I feel a little bit more comfortable about my Rams. So, yeah, but we'll get there. We got a lot more news to break. We got a lot more to talk about. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being along for the ride. And we love you. Take care, everybody. Horns up. Peace. Go Rams. <laughs>